You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the True University Podcast, where the truest thing about you is what God says about you, not what you feel, not even what you believe or think about yourself at times. There's truth that exists beyond those things, and when you know it, and participate with it. It sets you free. I am Steve Eden, and my guest today, once again, is Brother Mike Daniel. Mike, how are you, sir? I'm doing better than I ought to be. How are you? (laughs) Man, I'm doing well as well, and of course, super excited that you're on again today. I've got a wonderful topic for us to talk about. I call it God's Empowering grace. That's what I want to talk about today, the empowering grace of God. So I'm going to start us off with a couple of scriptures, and then I'm going to throw it at you and let you chime in. (laughs) Galatians 5 verse 1, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Some translations say it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. So don't uh, go entangle yourself with the yoke of slavery. And then this is uh, the main one. First Corinthians chapter 15, I'm gonna read verse nine and 10. This is the amplified classic. I really like the verbiage in this. Paul writes, for I am the least of the apostles who am not fit or deserving to be called an apostle because I once wronged and pursued the church of God, oppressing it with cruelty and violence. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not for nothing. It was not fruitless. It was not without results. I really like that. In fact, I worked harder than all of them, the apostles, though it was not really me, but the grace of God, which was with me. So uh, I see a couple of things in this passage. First of all, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I think that is a, the, I think that's a picture of the saving grace of God. You know, he's, uh, he's referring to his identity here in Christ, that he's made righteous, he's a new creation, he's loved, he's accepted in the beloved, he's forgiven, he's cleansed, he's justified. All those things that he is, he is by the grace of God. And then mm-hmm. in verse 10, he talks about what I, what I consider empowering grace, that the grace of God that's at work within him is not without effect. And, um, it, you know, when we limit grace to just a doctrine, something we just believe in our head, I think we lose, Mike, the power of the indwelling presence and intimacy of Christ himself. What do you think? I totally agree. And in fact, I think we have largely in the modern era mistaken Christianity, you know, the Christian life as either a set of doctrines yeah. or a set of behaviors. Mm-hmm. And in reality, it's a relationship. The Christian life is simply a relationship. It's Christ living through me by grace as I allow him by faith. Mm-hmm. So there is an economy to it. And what Paul is doing brilliantly in uh, that First Corinthians 15 passage is he's setting up this tremendous contrast that says, look how I've lived, and yet look who I am. And how I've lived was by the flesh, yeah. and who I am is by grace. Wow. So Amen. don't don't judge my Christianity by my behavior <laughs> or even my perspective. 
right? Yeah. My my heart was zealous for God, but my thoughts were all in error. My heart was zealous for God, but my behavior was horrible. Right. I wasn't just a murderer. I was a murderer of God's right. church. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so who I am is by grace. I'm the poster child. Yeah. And I love it because we we don't and I kind of alluded to this in the opening. I think it's hard for us sometimes to realize we do not determine the truth about ourselves. John 8:32 Jesus said, you know, if you know the truth, then the truth will make you free. So truth is not something I determine. Truth is something I come to know. And Paul is right. doing that so well here. I love, well, maybe I'll say Mike Daniel's doing it so well because you're contrasting oh. who he used to be, how he used to yeah. be, with who he is now, and that right. he's he is adhering to the absolute truth of his identity in Christ. And isn't it interesting that the more we dare to agree with not only uh, what God says about us, but in actuality who he has made us, as a new creation, mm-hmm. I am who I am by the grace of God, then we begin, you know, when you participate with that, when you dance with that, you you get to experience the life and freedom <laughs> of that reality. Yeah, well, that's beautiful. You know, the uh, couple of thoughts come to mind. Uh, you know, you're talking about our identity is in Christ, uh, but we also get to associate with Christ. So there's a uh, something that he has done by grace, and then every single day by faith, I get to choose to believe that's who I am. In other words, I can associate more with my sin or my Savior, but I can't do both. Mm-hmm. I can't say I'm sinful, low-down, dirty, dog-darn sinner because look at my behavior, but look at the grace of God. I'm a holy, righteous saint uh, because of his indwelling life. Well, which one are you? You aren't both because Christ isn't a low-down, dirty, doggone sinner. Is that what I said? (laughs) He's not that. And so if I'm in union with him, I must be compatible with him. So he has forgiven and cleansed me so that he could take up residence within me so that I could live out by associating with him more than my sin, by associating with his finished work more than the flesh that's in me but is not me, I can actually experience the truth of who I already am by grace. Oh, man. So he's made me new, but I get to choose whether I live like the new me. I There's association that. and identity. One is up to me, and one was totally and completely and forever up to him. Yeah. Association, is that the word you used? And identity. Yeah, I was saying, yeah. I, well, right. And you got to be careful because both of those kind of mean the same thing. So I'm just trying to use a different word for each of our, he chose me by grace, and I choose him by faith, but my faith doesn't cause his grace. And how do you marry that to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that for it is by grace that uh, we've been saved through faith? I mean, don't those marry when you say that part was him choosing me? Perfectly. And then, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, and it just happens over and over and over again in Scripture. We see it in Galatians 2.20. <laughs> we see it in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, really. We always think our behavior brings about his activity in our life, when really it's his activity on our behalf. Yeah. Galatians 2, 8, and 9, by grace we've been saved uh, through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. So we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's prepared for us in advance to walk in with him. But the works are his doing. 
for yeah. us to participate with him right. by faith. I, I love uh, this. Just I've, like our salvation is by faith. I've not heard you talk about this before. Uh, not saying you haven't ever, but with me, that he chooses me. <laughs> right. He chooses me. That's his grace. I choose him in response. That is faith. So grace is his empowering presence. Uh, his empowering love that fills us, you know, um, at at the new birth, and then faith is, of course, as we talked about together last couple of weeks, is our receptivity to what He's already made available, to what He's offered, and it's really our participation with that reality. We're not causing this union, but we're living in the reality of the union that He's provided by grace. Is that is that a good way of saying it? That, that's exactly right. So this liberty, a couple of the verses that you read, I love that liberty or freedom comes up with this idea mm-hmm. of uh, this grace economy, because if it was something that he does despite me, like he's doing it to me and I have no <laughs> say in it, it's not relational and I have no liberty. Come on, you know, man. Liberty really, you know, what liberty really means is uh, flowing. The first instance in history that we have the word liberty, because I've done some research on this before, mm-hmm. the word liberty literally means pure enough to flow freely, and it shows up in uh, a Levitical passage, I believe, uh, might have been in Deuteronomy, but, I, but it's in a Levitical passage, and it was describing the liberty of pure myrrh in the temple. Mm. And so there's this, if you, if you uh, give enough liberty to the myrrh by making sure it is pure enough, then the myrrh begins to flow as a liquid. And mm. until you give it liberty, it can't flow. Wow. And so in this, this, this sort of ancient text, the word liberty just means free enough to flow, free of impurity enough to flow. Well, look, we have great liberty in Christ. Yeah. He has removed every obstacle to our free-flowing life in Him. What we then do with that liberty really is up to us. Yeah. And that reminds me of Romans six fourteen that sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under law anymore. You're right. under you're under right. grace. So you've been empowered under this freedom. And I think that was a little bit of Paul's question about, well, why would we go, you know, go live in something we've just been set free from? Why would you do that? Why right. would you why would that be the end result of your choice? And he's talking in First Corinthians fifteen that uh, this grace, this empowering grace that's at work within him is uh, Let's see, how do I say this? The empowering grace, oh, has these results. That was the term he used. I couldn't think of it. That this empowering grace within me has results. When it's just merely intellectualism, there's no power in doctrine, if you ask me. The power is in the person of Christ, the very person of grace. I believe scripture even calls uh, a time or two the spirit of grace. And that power, Mm. that inward working, that inward intimacy of my roommate, (laughs) Jesus, is not without <laughs> results that look like him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So elaborate Boy, for really us good. a little I, bit, Mike, on uh, Romans six fourteen. I want to get your take on that, that sin doesn't have, you know, dominion over us anymore. We're not under law, we're under grace. How do you see that? Sure. You know, I was doing uh, some pastor's conferences in the Philippines. I'm blessed to have been able to do some uh, uh, missions work and missions training uh, with people in different parts of the world. And we were in this remote little 
community doing pastors conferences while uh, uh, others were doing evangelism with medical services. So people come out of the hills to come and get some medical care while I was doing pastoral training. And then we tried to introduce people that got saved at the medical uh, mm-hmm. facilities uh, or, or uh, procedures yeah. to introduce them to these pastors. And uh, after I got done teaching one of the conference sessions, someone came up to me and uh, said, so you're saying that we're free, but I'm not free to sin. Uh, you know, are you saying that I'm free to sin? That it, Like he was very confused. Yeah. And I said, well, can you choose to sin? And he said, yes. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, are you condemned if you sin? No, I guess not. You know, yeah. he was having a hard time with that. Oh, yeah. Said, the problem is, there's no such thing as freedom to sin because sin is what you're freed from. Oh, yeah. So it's, the, uh, the reality is there's no such thing. Yeah, that's kind of like saying yeah. I'm, uh, uh, you know, strong enough to lift myself. Well, right. good luck. <laughs> you know, yeah. Good luck lifting <laughs> good luck with yourself that. up by, by your own bootstraps. You, or, or I'm, you know, strong enough to levitate. Well, that, that doesn't make sense. That's not what strength does. You're mm-hmm. not free to sin because there is no such thing. There's only freedom from sin to be free in Christ is to be free to live as you live as you have life it's not it's not the freedom to not be free it's not the freedom for bondage that doesn't make any sense you've been set free from sin so you can flow in grace grace never empowers there's no such thing as grace giving license to sin grace is the very empowerment for the righteous life we're designed for Titus chapter 2 verse 11 through 14 grace is what trains us in godly living absolutely that's so powerful and that's that's why I think I mean you can have grace Pharisees I use that term in the sense that somebody just intellectually has adhered to a doctrine that there's no life or power in it and have been deceived into thinking well yeah i can i can just do whatever i i want to do and it's all covered well that's a very it's it's a dangerous posture because you're you're not recognizing that the grace of god jesus christ who's in you is empowering you to continue to live the life that you were created to live uh sure the same the same grace that sets me free is also the grace that gives me the sufficiency yeah. to not live out of my own neediness. Right. You know, it's picking up both sides of the same stick. Yeah. The grace that sets me free to live as I want also sets me uh, free from living out of, uh, you know, fleshy coping mechanisms and in, in, in neediness at other people's expenses or, yeah. or whatever. So, um, yeah, yeah, I can't be set free from uh, sin and not also be set free from uh, the insufficiency of my circumstances. But the problem is we, you know, you and I uh, also have immature moments and immature yeah. history and flesh patterns. So we're not speaking condemnation to people that are in Christ. We're saying that growing up in the reality of what we've already received is not just freedom to choose, it's freedom to live Amen. in the fullness of what we've been designed for. And, and that is Amen. the growth process. Praise God, we've been made okay so yeah. that we can learn to live okay. Yeah, amen. <laughs> There's a margin for that. And and the thought of uh, so so now I'm free to do what I want. That's a that's a great thought because if you're a born again child of yeah. God, then I know what you want to do. <laughs> you you want to that's do right. what that's your right. new creation man wants to do. You want to walk that's in intimacy right. with him. You want to be empowered by grace that has results after his 
his kind. Because to me, as a new creation, now I've actually been empowered uh, to be free to do what I was created to do. The one I was created for, the one I was, uh, whose image I'm created to bear. And that, that guys, is the freedom that we're talking about. Uh, anyone that, that has the concept, well, now I'm free to do what I want, and what I want to do is go sin, I would be like, well, I think you you might need to get born again. Because it sounds yeah. like that, that if your, your idea well, if of freedom... You were right, if you were correct about that. Yeah. Yes. If your idea is freedom is gotten and sin and make a disaster of your life, your marriage, or whatever, then uh, you're either grossly deceived or you need to get that new new nature that Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 talks about when he says, I'm going to put my spirit inside of you and I'm going to cause you to walk in my ways. Right. Right. Yeah. He's going to give us a new heart, and that new heart is not incompatible with Amen. his heart. So we, we are not, um, you know, the enemy just deceives. It's all he does, but he does do that. Yes. So at first he deceives us uh, thinking we're incompatible for his grace, even though we're designed to live in dependence upon him as our source. And then when we come to know his grace and we get ourselves saved, then we think it's up to us to live the Christian life. Right. He sees us and thinking that we've got to do better in order to earn what we've already got. Yeah. Like, I've got to pay God back. And then uh, as we get free of that, we start to go, oh, so I'm just free to do whatever I want, assuming that what I want is contrary to what he wants. Right. And the reality is when I was immature as a human being, right? When I'm a teenager, I might go and eat two dozen donuts after, you know, an athletic, you know, yeah. excursion as a tennis player. So I might go and eat two dozen donuts because that's what I that's what I felt like doing. But after the fact I regretted it because I didn't feel good having done it. Right. And so if I live for my feelings, then in one moment I'm going to be deceived into thinking I want something I don't, and the next minute I'm going to feel the exact opposite of what I felt, you know, ten minutes earlier. <laughs> right. And the reality is what I want to do is proven by what I'm glad I did or regret I did. Yeah. Uh, it's not proven by how I feel or what I feel like doing in a given moment. So I might feel like lashing out at someone in traffic or proving myself right to someone who's arguing with me, but afterwards, am I going to be, I'm really glad I put that person in his place. Man, oh, man. Uh, no, I'm going to regret that. It's incompatible with who I am. Oh, I may feel like sleeping in instead of working out this morning, but later, I'm going to be like, oh, I really wish I'd gotten up and worked out today because now I yeah. don't have time and I'm going to wish okay. that I had. So I regret something and that proves what I want and don't want. That's fantastic. Because of how I see it outside of the circumstance that I do it. So, outside so of the circumstance in which I do it. Let's pause right here because I want to camp a little <laughs> bit on this. This is fantastic. That every day <laughs> <laughs> it's proven who I really am is proven by what I'm either glad I did or what I regret I did. And I, I, I like to use the analogy that when a pig falls in the mud, he celebrates. But when a sheep falls in it, <laughs> when a child of God falls in it, we cry. We're like, oh, man, uh, that's not who I am. That's This is not where I want to be. I want you to talk some more about that statement that every day, and I, I you added something else to it. You said it's proven by what I'm glad I did or proven by what uh, what I regret, but it's not proven by what was the rest of that? How I feel in the moment. How I feel. We okay. think, oh, I want to sin. I want to sin. I keep wanting to, whatever. If my coping mechanism is getting drunk or my coping mechanism yeah. is 
is, uh, you know, getting my needs met by some casual sexual encounter or I'm uh-huh. getting my, you know, I'm, I'm somehow soothing fleshy neediness yeah. or avoiding something. Yeah. That self-soothing coping mechanism, I think that's what I want, but we confuse what we truly want, what will satisfy our soul with how we feel in the moment. I'm responding to things other than my identity in Christ, yeah. and the only things that will satisfy me are in line with, they're compatible with my identity in Christ. So at the end of the day, I'm going to look back, or, or the end of the week, or the end of the five minutes, or whatever it is, yeah. I'm going to look back and either regret or delight in the things that God wishes differently for my sake. God is not threatened yeah. by my sin. He's just fine. <laughs> but, <laughs> Jesus always but, demonstrated you know, had, that, I, that light was greater than darkness. Now, the Pharisees, they believed that darkness was greater than light. And I've told I've told right. many of people, Jesus is not afraid of your dark places. I mean, this is a guy right. who healed right. lepers darkness by touching. never drives out light. Right. Right? Yeah. There's no amount of darkness that puts out a candle, ever. So the let tiniest me, candle is never put out by darkness. It's the opposite. Amen. You're absolutely right. Let me ask you this question. This is a this is a great question, I believe. <laughs> so it's it's not proven. It's not, I'm encouraging myself here. It's not proven by how I feel in that moment or bad thoughts I have. Mike, what part of it, what part of us, excuse me, feels like it wants the alcohol or it wants the pornography or the the sex, you know, you talked about a, a, a sexual excursion or whatever. Coping mechanisms. Uh, co- yeah, those coping mechanisms. Maybe we're trying to medicate a pain, whatever. What part of us? Because right. it's not the true me. Where's that coming from? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. So when I'm born, I uh, don't have words. I don't have a lot of skills. I can't walk to the refrigerator and pull out a, you know, fish stick. I'm an <laughs> infant. And so what I do as an infant is I'm uncomfortable. I don't cry to be fed. I cry because I'm unhappy. But as soon as I cry, you know, mom or dad or a guardian or someone comes in and, you know, gets me a bottle and comforts me. And I go, hey, little neuron connected in my brain says, when I cry, I get fed. Yeah. And now, well, you get a little older and that same child's in. So that's that's the beginning of a flesh pattern. I'm causing my need to get met. Okay. And that's true of every single person that's ever been born. Yeah. But we get a little older and we realize that how I act can cause what I need from other people. I fall off the tricycle and I cry uh-huh. and you know, someone comes and comforts comes me. Mama. So later on, yeah, later on I'm having an argument with my brother and the one who cries for mama to hear is the one that gets the sympathy. And we start to learn to manipulate circumstances with our available resources and if I'm a very verbose, you know, gregarious kid, as I was, then I learned to overcompensate for some of my lesser qualities. Uh, maybe I'm not as smart as one of my brothers, or maybe I'm not as talented as, uh, you know, one of the neighbor kids. And so I'm going to overcompensate with my uh, weakness, for my weaknesses with my strengths, not out of confidence in Christ, in his life in me, but out of these flesh patterns that I've learned to use to meet my needs. Now, the problem is I don't make a very good God. And so no matter how good I am at those things, even if I meet the feeling for that need in a moment, some affirmation, some comfort, some uh-huh. hunger, whatever I learn to do, I can stand on a stage as an adult and get people to clap for me or laugh. If I get really good at that, 
even then it doesn't really satisfy those mature needs in my life because that affirmation is so conditional. I don't feel like they're affirming me. I don't feel like they're laughing because I'm really funny. I feel, I know I've manipulated them. And so they only like what I've shown them. They're only laughing at what I you know, designed to make yeah. them laugh at. It doesn't make me more likable in my inner being. So like Adam, I, I cover my sin or try to meet my need with a bunch of fig leaves, but I still feel naked when God shows up right. to see who I truly am. Right. So all of that is how the flesh patterns get formed in our life. The coping mechanisms are how I self-soothe or avoid or lay blame or make myself a victim so that I have an excuse so I feel better. It's how I self-justify or self-soothe when my flesh patterns don't work. Yeah. So we learn to play the victim. We learn to drink too much alcohol. We learn to go to movies 10 times a week so that I can escape in the fantasy of it. We yeah. learn to be louder than the other people on the road around us. Whatever our coping mechanism is, we learn that because we know in our heart of hearts the flesh patterns we use to meet our own needs aren't good enough to really satiate our soul. We aren't very good at being God. Yeah, it's almost like we're not designed to meet our own needs. Right. Right. Exactly right. And so we learn. We learn to try to do that. Right. Yeah. And when it doesn't work, we cope. Yeah, and so I learn from the time I'm a baby that I can cause my needs to be met by doing certain things. and But a lot of those needs are going to be, you know, food, for example, acceptance, security, belonging. Uh, even the sexual need is a human need. And so then, then we go out and, and try to meet our own needs. So, for example, let's say someone is single and the uh, sexual need is a real life need, but the Lord asks us to wait until we're married to, you know, have have sex. So, what does a single person do when they're they're being tempted, if you will, to buy this need, and they're accustomed to meeting their own need, even though we really are inherently designed for God to be the only one that could fulfill us or satisfy us. Yeah. Is that part of the, the the battle there that they have to remember, hey, I've got to trust God to supply uh, the, the uh, end result of this need, that he's more than enough, or how about this, he's going to supply me a spouse at some point, and we're going to walk it out his way, or to remember that if I turn to pornography or if I turn to a one night stand from a, you know, from an encounter at a bar that I will not be fulfilled in that. Are those some ways to approach that? Well, I think so. And, and not that everyone has to understand this for this to work out for them, but the reason those are problems is because sex is not the need intimacy and acceptance uh, in the midst of vulnerability okay. is the need. Okay, good. So the comfort that comes from someone seeing me as I truly am being, you know, my wife sees every little, you know, nook and crab uh, 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 cranny of my broken personality and everything else. She knows everything about me. And so for her to accept and love me and be vulnerable with me, for us to exchange affirmation in the most vulnerable and intimate of ways uh, is very satisfying to us 
stoically. Yes, there's a physical contingent to that, no question. But that comfort is coming through through true intimacy with yeah. another person, and we're designed for that kind of intimacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that Adam was created with a raging sex drive <laughs> that God had to find someone to meet his needs. I think Adam was created with a need for intimacy and companionship that really could only oh be goodness. met by God's provision of someone like him, someone that could see me as I am and I could see them as they are and we could relate to each other and share with one another in a compatible way. And so uh, I think the underlying need is actually not physical. I think the underlying true needs for everyone are solical. We need affirmation, uh, but it needs to be of who we really are, which requires vulnerability and intimacy. So in that example, I would say what God wants to do is meet our needs his way. Mm-hmm. And that he is the one that gives us true intimacy and companionship. And just like Adam before Eve, uh, he was given every opportunity to find a way to meet that companionship need apart from God's provision. Yeah. And once he searched every little corner of creation and said, there's no way I can meet this need. God said, okay, then take a nap. I'm going to put you to sleep right. and I'm going to create from the life that I made in you, someone just like you that is compatible with you, right? Truly compatible with you. Yeah. Uh, who is the, 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 alternate version of you that you can from two people become one person in this intimate vulnerable companionship that I've designed you for but the goal of that was not that he would have his needs met in Eve but that he would see that God is the only one who can meet the need that's why Adam was was uh, accountable for sin because he knew that only God could be his source Eve showed up every need was met yeah. There wasn't a single need that Eve ever had that God hadn't already met. She yeah. never had an unmet need that God fulfilled, but that Adam had. He tried and failed to find a suitable companion. And so God gave him a companion so that he could not only have every need met, but that he could know the only way it could be met was through God's yeah. grace. That's really good. And I've heard it said this way that, you know, when God made Eve and then Adam looked at her, because he had looked at all the animals and so forth, two by two, etc. cetera. But um, when he looked at Eve, she looked back. Oh, she, that's great. Yeah, she was. A, she looked back at him. There's this connection there, this... Uh, yeah, this, uh, uh, Right. And so we're talking about, I'm talking with Mike Daniel today about God's empowering grace. And I want to share this other scripture because I do think that when we're talking about temptation, whether it's, you know, the alcohol or pornography or uh, things like that, ultimately the grace of God is this empowering present source, a fountain, if you will, of living water within us that supplies all we need that pertains to life and godliness. This is Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Well, guys, that wasn't a book. He didn't write it on paper. That's not a doctrinal statement. That's Jesus. (laughs) And, And teaching us that in denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we can live soberly righteously and godly in the present age. What a great statement there. The grace of God has appeared to us. He showed up and now is teaching us in that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we can live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. But guys, the only way this is going to happen is as we uh, live continually 
through this grace and faith, you know, this receptivity to Christ as our vine. And I had the thought earlier, Mike, when we were talking about Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 10 said the grace of God that was working in him wasn't without results. I also think in John 15, that's similar to Jesus saying, if you'll abide in me, it's not without results. You're gonna, you're going to bear fruit from uh, from this union that you're participating with. But talk a little bit, Mike, maybe even in your own uh, experience and in your journeys in ministry about how the grace of God is not some benign uh, just thing we intellectually ascend to, but it's empowering and trains us in. Uh, in, to, to be able to live soberly and righteously in the present age. Sure. Well, let me just list, list off all of my sin patterns. No, I'm <laughs> Here's all the things that um, me overcome. Here's all the things I've ever done wrong. Yeah, here's the example. The reality is I love that that passage in, in Titus, when Paul was writing to Titus, that he says grace has already appeared. Grace has already been given to us and continues to train us. Mm-hmm. in this righteous life that he described. So the reality is I was talking to someone the other day about the things that I would consider sinful when I was a brand new believer as a little kid. Uh, I would still call sinful today. But what I've realized is the heart behind those things to desire uh, something that I cause or I'm the source of to meet my needs my way uh, to be justified by making someone else wrong, that pharisaical self-righteous attitude, that's mm-hmm. just as sinful as you know being a little kid and, and taking someone else's toy. Uh, but I wouldn't have thought that at the time. I didn't have the maturity to understand the, the error that I was operating out of at that, that sophisticated level. So the reality is God is continually showing me where I'm operating out of the deceit of who I'm not. I don't need to covet someone else's success. I don't need to, um, and, and the reason that I don't have to, uh, to deceive in order to be okay in someone else's eyes, mm-hmm. the reason I don't have to uh, make myself seem a little more important uh, to somebody so that I can be affirmed, the reason I don't have to strive to win someone else's favor or whatever, those are more complicated versions that are more akin to my life in positive flesh living today at the age of 50 <laughs> as, a, as a Christian minister. Uh, and the reason that he shows me those things now is because I'm freer today in my experience than I was when I was nine. Right. But I was as free at nine in reality because of the fullness of the grace that had already shown up in my life and my identity in Christ. I was as free then as I could ever be for all of eternity. Yeah. And I had not walked fully in that freedom. So he just keeps pulling away the layers mm-hmm. of the onion of my lying beliefs so that I get freer and freer in my experience. But here's the great news. Mm-hmm. I was already free. I'm just walking further and further away from the prison of my own sinful Amen. beliefs. And yeah. so Amen. he's not causing me to be free. He's already made me free and he's trying to convince me of how free I am of the neediness of everyone else around me for which I employ those flesh patterns and, yeah. and from which I employ those coping mechanisms. We're just freer than we know, mm-hmm. but we're learning. I, li- I, like <laughs> what you, what, I liked what you said about uh, departing from the lies, the deceptions, like John eight thirty two. I mentioned it earlier. He said, if you know the truth, it will make you free. I think if it's fair to say 
and it's true because Jesus said it, that knowing the truth sets me free, then when Steve believes a lie, he's going to be, he's going to find bondage. Now I am still right. free right. in my position, of right. course, in Christ, but I'm experiencing bondage, frustration, lower living, all those things. Uh, right. And I think it comes from deception, Mike. And, and I was sharing this Sunday at Grace Church. The real deception is that you ever thought you could be satisfied or fulfilled by what the enemy was offering you. Yes, yes, right. you you know, you committed a sin or what, and that's bad. But the real deception is, and I, okay, I'm not going to get into that. I'm, not, I'm casting down thoughts here. <laughs> but the real deception is that, that, that you could ever be satisfied by that. Because if knowing the truth and dancing with it, uh, allows me to fear, experience the life and peace of the freedom I already possess in Christ, then when I get tricked, when I get deceived and try to derive life in something that is not life, then that's when I experience that bondage and frustration. Yeah. Yeah. Look, putting up the sail doesn't cause the wind. And so God is blowing his life into our existence every moment of every day. And we are led, we're literally pulled along by it as we're willing and available. Mm -hmm. But we don't make ourselves more a boat when the sail is up or less a boat when we don't put the sails up. In other words, we are who we are by the grace of God and how much we trust him to lead us in the righteousness only he can produce through us is up to us. That's freedom. Freedom is not that I always live right. Freedom is that I have the choice whether or not I live in sin or, you know, the the unbeliever who doesn't have the indwelling life of Christ has no option for righteousness and they have no option but independence from God, trying to live independently of God, which is rebellion, which is sin, right? There's no such thing as living by faith for an unbeliever, at least not faith in God. It's faith in self, it's faith in, you know, the chair that you sit in to hold you up, but your faith doesn't help you with life. Uh There's no life apart from God and my, my faith in anything, my hope in anything except for Christ is a failing faith, but that's still where the unbeliever has placed their faith. So if I am putting my faith in how good I am in feeding the homeless or in, uh, you know, building uh, houses for a good, with a good work ethic or whatever it is Mm -hmm. that I'm doing, if I'm putting my faith in how well I'm doing, that's just a false faith. I'm doing really good looking things to make myself feel good about how well I do. Well, that's no more righteous than... Uh, Satan wanting to sit on the throne of God, yeah. right? That's just us trying to be yeah. the epitome of goodness for ourselves. Self-source. It's not life. Meet our own needs, right, treat right. the knowledge of good and evil. It's all that all over again. And the I love That's this, right. Mike. I, I was reminded of, and I think it's Romans 6. I can't remember. But you mentioned about an unbeliever really has no choice. Paul called them... Uh, a slave or a servant of sin, and yet when we get born again, we become this slave or servant of righteousness or unto righteousness. The beauty of the grace of God working in us is how we started today, and that is if we do venture out and do a big piece of stupid, then we've got this presence within (laughs) us, this uh, roommate named Jesus who loves me so well, loves me more than I even love myself, there to again begin to cause me back towards righteousness. Steve, this is who you are. This is what I created you for. The unbeliever doesn't have that, Mike. And so I love the concept that, and I know I'm not a son and I'm not a slave of God, like he uses me or something, but I love being a slave under righteousness. In other words, I've got this righteous work. I got the ministry of righteousness at work in me by the spirit that 
that helps empower me and cause me and keep me on the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Absolutely. So what Paul is talking about in Romans 6 is what we're governed by. Yeah. It's an incredible thing that as a believer, even when I'm sinning, we're not sinning, right? I'm doing something that I know is not God's desire for me, right? It's yeah. not for him, it's for me. But I, I know that I'm not doing that or I know I am doing that. What's governing me is not my sin, like I can't help but do it, but rather his righteousness. So as I'm doing it, I'm thinking, I know this isn't what God wants for me. I hate that I'm doing this. And when I'm not doing it, I'm going, this is awesome. I'm experiencing God's life in and through me. I'm not even thinking about sin. So I'm governed not by the sin side of the unbeliever, but by the righteousness side of the believer. Am I walking in the righteousness I've got? Or am I missing the righteousness? So those are the guardrails of my (laughs) life, if you will. It's not the law. It's the very righteousness of God that's compatible with my nature. And here's what Paul says. I know it's a big round sentence. Hang on. (laughs) He says, so since you are no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness, then present yourself. So there's still a choice. This is the bond servant that's choosing his servitude. Present yourself to God for works of righteousness. In other words, yeah, you are governed by the righteousness of God, but you get to choose if you're availing yourself to the deceit for unrighteousness or to the truth and to God for his righteousness in and for you. We're never the cause of the righteousness and we're never condemned for the unrighteousness. We're just availing ourselves to God Mm -hmm. and if he lives through us, we're forgetful of the sin issue because we don't have a sin issue. We have a source issue. Am I living unto God for him to live through me? Then I'm not worried about sinfulness. That's why Jesus is walking through the the uh, the field, you know, and they're eating the grain of the, the wheat stalks. He's going, I'm not worried about, are we sitting? I'm just walking with God, and I happen to be hungry. That's so whatever so good, I do man. with God as I'm hungry is righteousness. Yeah. So let me, I got to close with this, that those of you that are listening, God is not looking at you every day to determine his character and who he's going to be towards you. <laughs> like right. he's in, as Andrew he's Farley right. says, he's in some swivel chair that, oh, well, today I will turn my right. back on Mike because I saw he did that CD thing, you know, on the computer. <laughs> he's not using us to determine his faithfulness. He's not using right. us to determine... Uh, whether whether he's going to be good, you know, that's such a performance-based, whether it's acceptance or performance-based identity that, well, if I do good, he'll be good to me. Oh, but if I do bad, well, right. then he's going to be bad and mean to me. Yeah, uh, he's transactional. Yeah, right. transactional. He's not looking at, at us to determine who he is. He's constantly at work within us. So let me pray, but I, if you can come back next week, I want to get into 2 Corinthians 12 <laughs> and the thorn in the flesh and how the oh, grace great. of God is able to empower us in our neediness of him to uh, to live a victorious life. Does that sound good? Awesome. You bet. All right. Well, Father, I thank you for our time together with Mike. And Lord, we just bless all those that are listening, Lord, today, all those that have their receivers on. And just ask, Father, that by the grace of God, you would show them that they are who you say they are. And then, Lord, that that grace empowers them now in a very difficult and challenging world, Lord, you empower us and you lead us and you guide us into righteousness and uh, to walk the path that you created us to walk in, in righteousness, peace, and joy. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.